All right, episode two. I am significantly more excited about this now that I got the first one up, and hopefully you listen to the bike building podcast, or the episode, because it really got me thinking about last year um, and the year before when I did Supercross Futures and just kind of decided to do it on a whim. Um, You know, this kind of thing when you grow up watching motocross and supercross and you know deep down that most of us are not going to be fast enough to actually get out there and and become a pro and most of us like i said when i launched um or attempted to launch corporate moto even though i haven't really defined what that is you can check it out and let me know what your uh take on it is um mainly it's a brand but I want it to be, I want it to be something unique. Where when somebody says, "Hey, have you seen that corporate moto bike? So and so built one and got some input from those guys or from that guy, I should say. I haven't expanded that far yet. And I just really want to. There's not a lot out there besides like videos on watching other people build bikes, and you just kind of have to make it your own. Like, go out and buy something off Craigslist that looks really bad, or trade for one, which is what I did a couple times, or, like, this most recent build is being built from scratch, and it is a major pain in the butt. Like, I lay in bed some nights just turning over in my mind what I have in the garage and and stuff that I need, and where to get it, and what is the best way to get it, who do you buy it from, how do you support the sport, And I'm getting way off in the weeds from what I wanted to talk about, but bike building is one of my major passions just because it's so cool to take something from like broken, neglected, abused, people do not maintain their stuff. And that's just human nature, I guess. So it dovetails into my Supercross Futures episode here because I raced my... 2017 CRF 450, and I had the suspension built by Factory Connection. Um, They asked me, do you want a stiffer regular setup, or do you want a full-blown Supercross setup? And of course, being excited and enthusiastic about being able to have this opportunity to race on on the same dirt the pros race on the night before, I was like, give me a full supercross setup and i just wanted to have a supercross bike so that's what i built um my motor is mostly bone stock um and there's nothing wrong with that because i am not fast enough to ride anything modified when it comes to a 450 but it's not the bikes i really want to talk about here it's i'm sure everybody that finds this podcast that has a passion for being in the outdoors, whether it be hunting and fishing or camping or overlanding, hiking, side-by-sides, somehow your last year has been majorly impacted by this freaking coronavirus thing. And I've got another episode coming where I'm going to tell you guys, if you care to listen, about my experience with lymphoma and how it derailed me and my wife's life significantly, and my my family, my mom and dad and my sister. 
for about six months, maybe actually longer while I was doing treatment. But while I was in treatment, I kept watching my Supercross Futures videos that I made from my own footage because it made me feel better. And I really wanted, I really hoped that this year with Supercross coming back around, outside of the fact that it was the first sport to really return after the pandemic had altered our reality so much, I was really hoping that Supercross Futures would be around in 2021. And even though it's not, for those of us who participated in it, I see it all, all the time over Instagram and uh, when I had Facebook, which maybe with the podcast I'll have another one someday, but that's another discussion. People that have participated in this miss Supercross Futures because you work so hard to get the bikes ready, to get yourself ready. to You have to have a, a team to support you, and I found that out when I did it the first time in Houston in 2019, and I did it mainly by myself. I had the help of a buddy that had a limited amount of time and and really did do everything he could to get me to and from the line, racing two bikes. And that being said, if you're going to do this, race one bike, pick a class or two, but having multiple bikes and multiple classes is chaos. It's fun chaos, but it's chaos nonetheless. So what I'm getting at is the whole time I was sitting in the hospital for 40 plus days in various levels of of sickness and pain and recovering, it was awesome to have done something like this and to have just pulled the trigger on it and went out there and gave it my all twice. And learning from 2019, when we went into 2020 last year in Arlington, what we did was... I called two buddies. One of them lived two miles down the road from me. I've known him since high school. Can always depend on him. Um, the other still live back in Pennsylvania. Both of these guys, I'm going to drag onto this podcast, whether they want to be on it or not. So you know who you are if you're listening. And yeah, we're just going to talk about this because I'm still excited about it. And it was a year ago that we did it the second time. And so I called them up and I said, hey, I'm signing up again. I'm going to do 125 BC, open 450, and uh, open 250, which actually I think it might have been more like vet classes and B classes. And they, they one of them flew in and one of them rode from West Texas to, to Arlington with me. And we had an Airbnb. So if you guys are watching the, the vlogs that – Guys are putting out there like AJ Cat and Zero, and um, I think I saw Max Anstey has one. Freddie Noren has one. Everybody is doing the vlog thing because, like, growing up, we were starved for for motocross content that we could watch. Like, you could flip on ESPN at any given point throughout the day and see football or baseball or soccer. Or, hell, even NASCAR and Formula One, that kind of stuff was mainstream and and carried by all the major media platforms. But motocross and supercross was, it was in its infancy as far as mainstream media was concerned. And all the time you were just like, why is there nothing to watch? Why do I have to watch 
the Disney Channel's Motocross, which don't get me wrong, I knew and know by heart because that was the era we grew up in. But nowadays with YouTube and podcasts and other platforms like, I guess, Rumble and I don't even know really what that is, but there's so many uh, media channels out there that you can go and get content from what's going on. Like tomorrow's Daytona and Daytona is one of the most iconic supercross races that has ever taken place on a, on a consistent basis year after year. And I've been excited for it for like weeks. I'm excited for every supercross round. And that's the, the reason why I think, yeah, sure. Nobody, maybe really wants to hear from somebody that raced Supercross Futures, but they might. I mean, we had an Airbnb. We did it pretty much the same way that the uh, the amateur private, or I'm sorry, the privateer teams are doing it now. And I'm fascinated by their vlogs because like, that's what they do. And mine was, I worked the week up to both Houston and the Arlington rounds of Supercross Futures. And it was just like, man, when is the work week going to end so I can pack the trailer and hook up the truck and like put my hang my gear up and live the dream? Like what I'm actually passionate about, what I wish I could have done professionally. But since that's not the case, this is the next best thing that I never thought would happen. And so to get ready for Supercross Futures and and to be able to do that, I realized after the first one that for this next round in 2020, I needed to get help from a professional racer. And I took a chance and I ended up getting two sessions with Scott Champion and a session with, uh, with Greg Schnell, one at Texplex or two at Texplex Park and one at Oak Hill on Supercross tracks. And the only way to learn Supercross, in my opinion, and I think it's across the board, is that you have to go and ride them. And it looks easy. I made the mistake of assuming I could do it because I could ride an outdoor track reasonably well. And I wadded myself up, not badly, but I had a few moments of just sheer terror, and it really helped getting Supercross suspension. Not that you have to have a full-blown kit, but it certainly does make a big difference. So if you go to my YouTube channel, there's two separate videos. One is one of my days with Scott Champion at Texplex in Midlothian. And then the other one is from the training class that I did as a group with Greg Schnell up at Oak Hill on their Supercross track. Um, and it was just so much fun. And living in West Texas at the time, Everything was five hours away. So, like, my wife endured this constant banter coming from me of Supercross this and Supercross that. And have you seen this? And probably up until the point she met me, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, I mean, dirt bikes are dirt bikes. You see them around. But I can't imagine what it must be like to live with somebody who is completely obsessed with them the way I am. And she endured, like, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and and hauling across Texas to these practice days and and then hauling all the way back. I mean, that's all eight hours in the car plus the actual participation part. 
but that's what was so cool about it was I was able to, I had all this support between the buildup and the practice and the preparation, building the bikes aside, just getting myself trained to where I thought I was comfortable to give this a second run in AT&T Stadium was more than half the battle. I can build the bikes and but getting into the gym every morning and getting up at 4 a.m. And, and hitting those classes and watching my diet and then taking all of life's other curveballs, which I feel like I could ramble for 45 minutes alone on just some of those types of things, aside from having been diagnosed with and survived cancer. And that leads me to another point that... I really debated whether I was ever going to ride again. Seriously thought, maybe this is not something I should take any more risk on. But the conclusion I came to and why I decided to start this podcast and, and start sharing these these hobbies and how-tos and my fitness routine is why suffer through chemotherapy and surgeries and this unforeseen almost unrealistic challenge that befell me if I'm just going to give up everything that made me tick before and live a safe life. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still going to take precautions and not take any unnecessary risk because my life has changed in more ways than one. But there's some things that like you just cannot live in fear. And so I was so glad looking back on Supercross Futures that I did it and that I experienced it. And so let's, aside from all the the reminiscing and how I feel about it, I want to talk about what I actually did. So we hauled into Dallas uh, like two days before, obviously, I think it was Thursday afternoon. Me and Zach loaded up the, I had the truck and trailer loaded and like we hopped in and it was just five hour drive across the state amped the whole time, listening to old music because we're in our 30s, and it was just a great kickoff to the weekend. And then we get into Dallas, we find the Airbnb, back the trailer in, and of course, somebody's got their car parked right in front of the driveway. Like, And if for all of you that have backed a trailer and you know that the less obstacles you have to maneuver around, the better. But it was just par for the course because none of this was easy. So we backed the trailer in. We unhooked the truck. Um, my wife and her parents had met up in Dallas, or not in Dallas, but in uh, Denver that morning or the day before. She was up there for work, and they were coming in to come to Supercross Futures. And so they flew in. We went and picked them up at the airport, and we went over and did uh, the initial check-in and basically just like settled in for a Supercross weekend. And Yost got in a couple hours later at uh, Love Field, so we, we went down and picked him up, and now we had the whole team there, and everybody was ready. And like just cool stuff you see in, in vlogs today. I wish I had more footage of the things we did just going around Dallas and, and Fort Worth. We went to Uncle Julio's and had dinner as a team, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but, like, that was it. It was the Supercross Futures Arlington 2020. 
pre-COVID, no masks and all that crap. And that was our team. And we were, we were starting the weekend before we got to spend a whole day of, of attending Supercross as fans. And a good buddy of mine is a professional mechanic for a race team. And so we got to go into the pits and, and see him and share that experience of like, this is what you do every day. And it's so cool. So it's driven my passion to, to give this a shot a second time. And so obviously you get amped. You're watching the pros ride and you're like, man, tomorrow I'm going to be out there on that same track. And I really don't want to hit that dragon's back, even though I went to a track to hit one specifically because I was not good at it. And there it's an uphill whoop section with a jump at the top and you watch it on TV and it never occurred to me that one, I can't do whoops anyway, let alone uphill and then jump off the top of it and land on a table without falling off my bike and accelerate off of it. And so the first time I hit one, I did it in second gear, about five to 6,000 RPMs and probably should have just leaned back and completed the backflip that it threw me into. And that was exactly the moment where I realized having a trainer was the best way to learn this. Cause he was like, so do you know why that happened? Well, no, but this is why when you hit it in second gear at that RPM range, the bike wants to rotate backwards rather than if you hit it in third or fourth gear at a lower RPM carrying more speed, your suspension would make the action that it's supposed to make and physics would dictate that your bike goes forward in a reasonably straight line, not straight up and down in a loop out. And that's in a nutshell how you do a dragon's back. And that was the benefit of taking a professional professionally led training course to not die in supercross basically so sitting in the stands that night watching the pros ride and thinking through all these things like there's a dragon's back oh webb just went upside down and onto the concrete off the dragon's back i'm gonna have to be careful of that tomorrow well we wake up the next day and it's 5.30 in the morning, and we're sitting in line, and I'm thinking, Dragon's Back. Not to mention whoop section, triples, rhythm sections, and I haven't had that much time on a Supercross track. But I was ready for it, and very relieved to find out that they decided to change the track design up completely. I think, that if I remember correctly, they reversed it. We had a right-hand first turn off the start, which is weird because as everybody knows, since we've seen those a lot lately, when you come into them, your foot is off the brake because your foot is out, basically executing proper form for the turn. And that can lead to a lot of things. One, a major pile up, which I think did happen once or twice. But besides that fact, they had taken the dragons back out, which half disappointed me because I had mentally prepared myself after looking at it, after watching Webb get injured off of it, and thank God being mostly okay. But the entire track itself was a major challenge because it was different than what I had studied and what I had watched the pros ride on the night before. So 
going out and practice, the dirt was tacky. It was hard packed, which when you've ridden outdoor tracks, the entire length of your motocross experience, except for maybe one or two other times doing indoor arena cross, which is actually not a bad idea for another episode reminiscing about stuff I did when I was younger and not quite as wise. Anyhow, just that change in the soil composition and the the soil preparedness, that hard packed, when you let the clutch out on a 125 or a 450, the bike goes. And if you haven't practiced those kind of starts or ridden on that type of surface, you spend the better part of one practice and you only get a few laps because they're packing an entire amateur day's worth of riding and racing into one day on a supercross track and everybody wants to be there whether they should or they shouldn't and i'm nobody to judge and say that anyone should or shouldn't do it but that's why it's there it's the road to supercross and so there's just all these little things that figure into it that if anybody's even thinking hey the next time supercross futures comes around i want to do it I hope that they can listen to this and, one, listen to my last episode, then listen to this one and see, this guy even talks differently from one to the next because it's probably the most exciting thing I have ever done in my life that I'm super passionate about. And I've done a few other things at a semi-professional level that were exciting, and this really sticks with me because when we got out there for practice I was like god here we are again and I am not going to jump any of this and you just have to start breaking it down and you identify like that obviously whoops are not something any of us are schooled in because we ride maybe once or twice a week if that and I would say for me that's doing pretty darn good and so It took me two practice sessions just to get comfortable hitting the whoops slow, let alone carrying any type of speed into them. And then I had to really prioritize in my mind, okay, finish line's important, the hip jump is important, my turns are just, hopefully by this point you've figured out turning and you've done some sort of figure eight drill or circle track drill or turn track drill. I would say just go ride in a circle and keep your feet up or put your leg out, but just do it repetitively so you get that feeling and you understand, like, you make it second nature to yourself to execute proper form in the turns, which I probably really don't have, but I'm trying. So that's practice in a nutshell. When you come to Supercross Futures, you're up at 5 a.m., you've been up early for probably two or three days in a row you had to watch the pro race the night before because let's face it who's going to come all the way to dallas or houston or indianapolis or daytona or wherever you're going to go and not go to the pro event it's just not in the card so you have to consider that too before you jump into this experiences you're going to be operating on almost no sleep and a ton of adrenaline And so you have to manage that and dial it down at the truck in in the morning when you're preparing and you're checking oil and topping off gas and making sure you didn't fill the 450 with the pre-mixed fuel and the 125 with the straight fuel and all these insane little things that go into this. And 
you're not even through practice yet or into the first qualifiers before you realize I have to stack up and qualify now. And if I don't, I have to write an extra LCQ. And if I don't get through that, my day's over as far as that goes. So then you justify in your mind racing other classes so that you have three opportunities. Like I said, I did 125 BC, 450 B, plus 30, and I think that was the main three. So that gives you three practices. That gives you late practice if they have it. So you're talking four times out on the track before qualifiers even begin. Then at least three qualifying ses- sessions. If those go poorly, which one of mine did, now you've got at least one, if not three LCQs in your near future. You better be eating and drinking and keeping your body fueled because the adrenaline itself draws down your calories in a hurry. And you don't want to cramp and feel fatigued. And after that, then you've got three main events. Not to mention, some of those can be as late as 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, depending on how the day is gone. And there's just so much packed into a Supercross Futures day, just in and of itself, that the first two times you do it, honestly, are just preparations for those times in the future where you're going to be successful at it, from my standpoint. And so the big sticking points of my day were my first heat went great on the, I think it was the plus 30 class, but the second heat out I got landed on or run into, and it wasn't entirely his fault, and I would say it probably wasn't entirely my fault, but we just picked the same line. It was the first lap. Everybody was hauling, trying to to get that advantage in the early part of the moto. And our lines came together, and I came out of it with a couple dislocated fingers on my right hand and a banged-up wrist, and I think I took a handlebar to the face and lost part of my beard. But that right there changed the whole trajectory for the rest of my day because, one, it forced me to dig deep and manage manage the damage to my day because... The rest of that moto was pretty much shot, and I decided to not ride with twisted handlebars and jumped off the bike, held the front wheel between my knees, and gave it like everything I had to straighten those bad boys out, and actually got it fairly straight. And so if you look at some of the pictures that I've put up on social media and stuff, there's a picture where I'm kind of looking to my right, I guess it would be, and you can tell my bars are twisted. I haven't got straightened them out. I've got dirt packed into some of the vents on my helmet. And we're in full-on race damage management mode here because it's an important day. You've been building up to it for months and months. And I knew that I had the LCQ, but I thought, well, maybe there is a way I can get into a qualifying position and avoid that extra time on the track. But don't think of that LCQ as extra time on the track as a bad thing, it's kind of a cool thing because it gives you the opportunity to get out there and ride a supercross track one extra time. And if you win the moto like I ended up doing, which oddly enough was the first time I've ever won a moto in my life, but the LCQ was my saving grace into the, it was the plus 30 main event. Now that I remember it's all coming back to me. It's been a year and It was cool because I had never won a moto before in my life. And to me, 
winning an LCQ on a Supercross track at a Futures event was like the coolest thing that had happened in quite a while. And so the rest of the day was like just fueled by, yeah, I probably wasn't going to do super great in the main event for plus 30 because there were former pros out there and, but that's not really what it's about. It's about the experience and doing something that you never thought you'd have the opportunity to do in any capacity because up until two years ago, racing on a supercross track was something that only the pros did. And lo and behold, I, I actually got to do it twice. And so the rest of the day went on pretty much as I've described in the first half hour of this episode. It was chaos. I mean, we were back and forth to the truck and switching parts and trying to figure out where to set my start device on the 450 because it took three guys to pin my forks down in that Supercross setup. It was stiff. I mean, we were yarding on it and put it up against a wall. Couldn't We got it locked in one time, and I think that might have been for the LCQ, and it made all the difference in the start. And then, like, I love riding 125s, and I kind of thought to myself, like, why in the world would I ever think that riding 125 on a Supercross track would be a good idea? And it's because every piece of this bike, twice now, I have physically removed, examined, prepped, finished, and put back together. And it just, it sits here and I ride it quite often, but I don't ride it every week, but I just won't sell it because it has this incredible memory attached to it that I'm, my wife and I are going to have a son here in, in a couple weeks and I pretty much have decided I'm probably going to take this bike apart, put it in a crate and hide it somewhere and and let him find it one day and then it's going to be his and I'll walk him through rebuilding it and and fixing whatever damage I did to it and it'll be his bike and it'll be a 30-year-old 125 at that point. But the cool thing about riding a 125 on a Supercross track is, especially when you built it, it's been a long time since the pros have raced them out there, and it just it gives you a feeling, an additional sense of accomplishment, in my opinion, in doing something really cool. Like, not just racing on a Supercross track, even a tame down one at that, but riding a 125 is not an easy thing to do, even if you don't do it well. It still takes more effort than riding a 250F, because you don't just lug this thing through the corners you either better be downshifting like a madman or hopefully you're carrying enough speed to just ride it throughout the corners and take advantage of no engine braking. And I honestly finished better on the 125 than I did on the big bike. I've got a trophy sitting here in my office that is seventh place, but it's a Supercross Futures trophy and I don't really know a whole lot of other people that have them. They're, I mean, obviously other competitors, but to me, that's one. Of, that is the coolest thing that I have from my time spent spending money on dirt bikes and Supercross and this so-called hobby of mine. Let's face it; these are not hobbies. These are passions that drive us to get out of bed in the morning and hit the gym before work. Because I, I was never a morning person growing up, 
my dad used to come into my room and whistle taps and make all kinds of noise. And it was just like nuttiness. And I hated getting up in the morning, except for deer hunting. I always like to get up and go deer hunting. We'll cover that later on too, because motocross isn't my only passion. But as an adult and being able to have a career and do the things that I've always wanted to do, getting up in the morning became something that was like a godsend, like a gift. You get up at four o'clock in the morning and hit the gym. Like now I can go do a F45 class at 4.30 a.m. if I'm crazy enough. And I realized in doing so, you get like three hours of your life back. I mean, if you can function without that sleep or if you can go to sleep before midnight, which is a challenge for me, just like getting up early is, but in preparing for Supercross Futures, I had this goal and I had this plan. And so I would get up every morning and drag myself to the gym and and blast through these high-intensity interval workouts, all the while thinking, like, this is going to make me stronger on the bike. This is going to help me outlast other competitors, or it's going to help me, if my line does come together with somebody else, hang on to the bike or God forbid, if somebody lands on me, the extra muscle wrapped around my bones is going to protect me. Which you should always wear as much protective equipment as you can handle. But I wear a helmet, a high-end one. I wear a, a uh, Atlas neck brace. I wear a chest protector a lot of the time, depending on what discipline of riding I'm doing. I wear knee braces. I wear Garnet boots. And I wear fast house gear. And I should probably add a wrist brace in there, but I just honestly haven't been doing enough riding to justify it because I'm not riding with a lot of people anymore that could potentially run into or land on me. But it's just, I think this is a cool option for, for podcasting and for getting content out there because I can't find anything on this. I mean, yeah, it's on YouTube and there's bits and pieces, but to actually find a podcast that talks about bike building, and I am going to start to reach out to other people that do this kind of stuff and be like, hey, why don't we collaborate together on these shows and and talk about our different experiences? Like, there's guys that I've seen building bikes that don't coat their frames, and honestly, their builds are every bit as fascinating to me as as mine are maybe to other people because I like to coat the frames and see the difference in the before and the after, even though like you may lose some performance here or there. But the point is like, this gives us an opportunity to, we have so much opportunity with the way information flows nowadays, multiple phone apps, iPads, computers, podcasting platforms, we can communicate so much more efficiently than what once was like when my dad was flight instructing in the in the 80s i can't even begin to fathom how like that was made marketable i would guess that and i maybe i should ask him i guess that's another podcast episode we can do later on is like hey dad tell me about your uh your experience as being a flight instructor and and raising me around aviation cuz I've never really thought about it in that 
from that point of view. But now, like, I was able to find a an instructor for Supercross simply by going on Instagram and looking for it and realizing that there's people out there that are doing these types of things and providing this to us because information flows more freely. And it's even in my day-to-day work, my nine-to-five job that I went to college for and in grad school for, information flows at such a rapid rate that it's almost a little bit overwhelming at times. So it's got its pros and cons. And like the pros are we can do this, this cool communication about these individual experiences on things we never thought we'd be able to do. And at the same time, you just get bogged down in your day-to-day work because there's such an immense amount of information coming your way. And sometimes it's good to just be able to hit play on something and, and disconnect and and get lost in reminiscing about something cool that you did a year ago that you may be able to do again in another year. But this year, all we can do is look back on it and collaborate. And I think any of you that are listening to this that have done Supercross Futures, reach out to me and let's have a phone call and let's talk about I want to hear your story and like what happened to you on that day and how you prepared for it and how you built your bikes and everything. If you've listened to it for, let's see, 37 minutes, I've been babbling, but let me know, like, I want to hear your story and I'm sure everybody else does too. If, if there's actually a, an audience for this. So that's it in a nutshell. Well, not a nutshell, but that's it for my Supercross Futures experience, and maybe I'll think up some stuff and I'll do a, a second episode on it. But if you enjoyed this, go to my YouTube channel and check out the actual video. That, Like I said, there's three or four of them that I uploaded, and two of them are training videos. One of them is the Friday activities leading up to sign up in Arlington and the Pro Day, and then the last one is the actual footage that I got from my GoPro, from other people that my wife took on her phone, my buddies took on theirs, and it's just, I don't know, it's not professional grade, but it was cool to do it, and I'm planning on doing more of it. So anyway, guys, until next time, um, stay safe out there, reach out to me on social media, and comment on the podcast. Let me know what you think, and uh, enjoy Daytona tomorrow.